0: Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. I see we've got several that are coming in. We welcome you here. If you're visiting with us, you're our honored guest. If you're joining us on social media, we welcome you as well. We'd ask that uh, you take the friendship register and pass it down the aisle. We would like to have a record of everyone's attendance we are excited to announce that brother jt beard baptized briley hannah on friday night we welcome briley into the fellowship of this congregation we're really glad to have the hannah family part of this congregation. We have two of our members who are preaching at other congregations this morning. Adam Carlson is preaching in Belmont at 2nd Street and Stephen Hodgin is preaching at Burnsville this morning. We're certainly blessed to have men with that talent. In our services this morning, uh, Brother Jeremy Jones will be leading us in singing, Brother Jonathan Farr has their opening prayer, Brother Drew Galloway has the scripture reading, Brother Ken Forrest will bring the message to us, with Adam out of town, uh, Brother Tommy Barragona will help us as we observe the Lord's Supper, and Brother Todd English will have our announcements and closing prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can assemble this morning to worship you. You are all powerful, you are all knowing. We are thankful for your love. We're thankful for your willingness to forgive us when we sin. We love you, Father, and we pray that our worship to thee this morning would be pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First song
1: this morning will be, Here I Am to Worship. If you would, stand with me as we sing this together and we raise our voices to God. Here I Am to Worship.
2: Light of the world, you step down into darkness.
3: As we look out upon your creation, heavenly Father, it declares your sovereignty. And Lord God, we are here to worship you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that the songs we have sung so far have been sung with spirit and have been pleasing to thee. We pray, heavenly Father, that you will go through, go that you will be with us through this through this service that we will listen attentively to the words of your scripture to the lesson that we will hear and apply these things to our lives, Heavenly Father, so we may be all better in your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be a church that is pleasing in your sight, a church that is active, a church that sends out workers into the vineyard, Heavenly Father, and that the harvest may be bountiful. Lord, we pray that you will be with all those that are here today, you will keep their thoughts and their minds pure and own you, Heavenly Father, for it is you that we are here to worship, and you alone. Lord, we pray all these things in your great and holy Son's name. Amen.
1: You're using your hymnal number 936. Lord, I'm coming home to our song of invitation, 936. Our next song is It Shall Stand. This is one of the newer songs we sing uh, on a Sunday evening, about a month or so ago, uh, talking about that God's kingdom will stand no matter what. Let's sing together. The kingdom of earth pass
2: away one by one, but the kingdom
4: Through 22 and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in and white and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent.
5: Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you today. Wasn't it great news to hear about Briley's obedience to the gospel? And just imagine in your mind that water being stirred and her coming up out a new creature. Isn't that just marvelous? The birth of a new being in the kingdom of God. And thanks to JT for having that study with her. Don't we want to see those waters stirring more and more? Yes, we do. Because that is representing new birth and new life. And that has got to be very exciting for all of us. I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad that you chose to be a part of our assembly. Although some folks are not able to be here and we have such a long and extensive list of sick people. But I wanted to mention Chopper to you this morning. Chopper is having some very severe sciatica problems and a lot of pain. If you've ever experienced sciatica nerve problems, I'm sure that you're wincing just thinking about it. And maybe some of you endure that on a constant basis, but that is... That is a pain that's hard to describe and is very difficult to control. So we want to remember him in a prayer as we begin this morning. And also my mother-in-law has been in the hospital over the weekend. She's been having some real severe breathing problems. And we're not really sure what the root of all of that is. So we're asking you please to be praying on her behalf. Today we've come to worship the Lord. And... The Lord has something very important to share with us today. As you've already read and experienced with me in this text from the book of Revelation chapter three. It's another challenge. It's another opportunity for us to examine ourselves and to put ourselves against the teaching of the word of God to see if we measure up. I pray that this is a church that has a repentant spirit. I'm not judging the church or saying that there are things for which we ought to be repenting. I'm just saying let's have that spirit. We don't ever think that we're above the keeping of the word of God. We don't think we're perfect or that we have arrived. I pray that we will have a heart that is fervent in its seeking after doing the will of God. I pray that we will have a humble spirit about us. I pray that we'll be a church of great vision and that we will know the way to go. Are you with me on that? Well, let's see what the Lord has to say. But before we start that, let's have our prayer together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege and opportunity it is to be able to assemble here to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father, for the songs that we have already sung. We thank you for the sentiment that was expressed in those. I pray that we were able to hang on every word. I thank you, Father, for the avenue of prayer that we've already partaken of and for how all of us came before you under Jonathan's leadership. And we have let our petitions be known. And now, Father, we are begging you as we enter into this time of worship that you will help our hearts to be open to the instruction that you have here. And I pray, Father, that if there is something lacking in us, that that will be made right today. I pray that you'll help me to communicate in such a way that those who hear it can understand it make good use of it. And Lord, I pray that once people have a hold of it, that they'll respond if that's Necessary, or certainly to keep walking in the right way if that's illuminated. We also pray, Father, for our long list of sick people. You know them because we are with their names before you continually. But today I ask especially for two new names. We pray for Chopper that he will find relief from his agony. And I also pray for my mother-in-law that you will Help the doctors to be able to determine exactly what the problem is and be able to address it and promote health in her. Bless us, Lord, as we enter into your word presently. In Jesus' name, amen. So far, so good. It's new, you know. Maybe you've noticed this as we have considered six of the seven churches that are mentioned here in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. Perhaps you've noticed that every single time we dealt with a city, it seems like something was mentioned in that text that actually dealt with something people already knew about the city. Maybe some characteristic that made that city stand out. When you come to the city of Laodicea, actually in this text are several references to things for which they were pretty famous. They were famous in the sense that they were a wealthy city, lots of trade, positioned in a place where it was just convenient for people to pass through. They were also known for their eye salve, and that might not seem important to you, but in that time... Protecting your eyesight and healing maladies of the time. That was very important. And so Laodicea was known for that. You can get the finest grade right here. And then they were also known for their fine black woolen garments. You couldn't find this anywhere else in the world. Laodicea was just, it was one of those crowning jewels. A spectacular place to be. But now set contrasting those images which are materialistic and worldly, things for which people in the world are famous. Contrasted with that is our Lord, who is the amen. Now, The word amen, you probably know means so be it, or let it be. In other words, once a thing has been spoken, you added amen to the end of it to just put an extra period or emphasis. Put the exclamation mark right there. So be it. Let it be. Okay, so whatever it is, Jesus says, I'm that. If it comes in a package that I have delivered, let it be. That's the end. The final say. But not only is he that, he is also described as faithful, and true. In fact, he's the very epitome, the source from which faithfulness is derived. And he is the absolute source of truth. Now get that. I I am faithfulness. I am truth. Amen. That's it. So contrasted with the the beautiful pictures that are described of the city is the spiritual emphasis, a great big exclamation point that is put there in the Lord's place. Also within this region, there were a couple of contrasting cities. One was Hierapolis. It was known for its hot springs, very popular destination And then Colossae, which you've heard of before, the book of Colossians was written to the church that lived in that region. That city was known for its cold, brisk waters. Right there in between is that city Laodicea. Not quite the hot springs and not quite that cold drink of water. Here's the thing about our Lord. Our Lord's always going to be true. He's always going to be honest with us. He is not going to be trivial. He's going to say something that he doesn't really mean and then come back later and apologize for it. Jesus just simply lays the truth out there. It's up to us whether we're going to heed what he says or not. If we will listen then the Lord's expectation is this, that we're going to take what he says and we're going to admit, wait a minute. I see what you say there, Lord, and I haven't been doing that. So, you know, I'm going to admit that I'm wrong here and I'm going to confess it. I I messed up. And then I'm going to repent. I'm going to quit doing what I have been doing as a willful expression of myself, and I'm going to go your way now. I'm really going to change. If we have that mindset about us, especially in terms of a body, the church, when the church is unified on the sense that we're just going to do what the Lord... Commands or leads us to do. And, and we're not going to bicker about it. We're not going to try to find some other way or some substitute or something less than. We're going to put that exclamation point on it. We're going to say the Lord has commanded it. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to admit the truth about it. I'm going to repent if need be. And then I'm going to act on it. Put the exclamation point. I'm with you, Lord. That means that we're going to be, as I mentioned earlier. We're going to be a people who have a mind that is set on that willingness to repent. We're going to be a repentant family of God, if you will. Now, here's the thing about it. We're going to have to be the kind of people who... Repent when we actually lose our fervor for the Lord and His ways. Now, what do you mean when you say lose fervor? When when is it that I would repent of something expressed that way? Well, He begins His examination by saying, I know your works. And here's what I know about them that you are neither cold nor nor hot. Actually, he says, I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, get this now. And this is as graphic as can be. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Oh, boy. Now, I know that there are several, let's, let's just call them temperatures that are described in the scriptures, okay? Uh, for instance, kind of backing away from this text a little bit, I, I remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus. In the book of Luke, chapter 24 and verse 32, those disciples that had been learning from Jesus and making the connections between the Old Testament scriptures and the fulfillment that Jesus represented of all of those scriptures. They said that they, they had a feeling that their hearts were burning within them. I just, I love that expression. It's like, you know, that word of God became so real in us. There's The passion of it just overwhelming us. We just, we were so fired up about what we were hearing. So there is the heat. And then on the other side of that, well, it's really couched in negative terms. I I guess negative terms all the time. And that is like represented in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. It talks of those whose love had grown cold. Now you get the idea right there and you know about love and its passion. So you can connect with the idea of fiery passion that we saw just a moment ago, our hearts, you know, we're on fire within us. So that passion, he says, connect it with love and then see that you had gone from that fiery passion to a heart that had grown or had become cold. So that's totally off. Either you're you're fired up and you're really on, or you are dead and you are cold. But he says, the thing that really gripes me about you, Laodicea, is that you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. And that condition that you are in just makes me want to vomit. Romans chapter 12 in verse 11 says that we're not to be lagging in spirit, uh, not to be lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So we're not to lag behind in our diligence. In other words, we don't hold back, but we hit the pedal and we go forward as hard as we can. And we are fervent in spirit as we are serving the Lord. Let's qualify the serving of the Lord then. What does it mean to be fervent in spirit while I'm doing that? I'm putting the pedal to the metal in terms of my diligence and my efforts. And then I'm serving the Lord with it. What does it mean to be fervent in spirit? The word fervent Actually means to be boiling over, hot, boiling. That's the idea, to be fervent in spirit. My spirit, in effect, is boiling over. It's intense, it's hot. You go to the restaurant like I do, and you order almost always iced tea. If she or he shows up with a glass of tea that has no ice in it and it's room temperature, you know, I'm not going to be real happy about that. I wanted iced tea. I want it to be cold. And oh, don't you, don't you feel it as it just kind of washes down your throat? How refreshing that is and the sweetness of it, just the perfect balance. hmm I can just drink glass after glass after glass, but not if it's room temperature. I just, I, kind of like the Lord, I just want to spit that out. You go into the restaurant for breakfast. Oh, I've been thinking about it. And right now my mouth is watering just thinking about that hot cup of coffee. Man, isn't that the thing? But what if he or she shows up and it's room temperature? If you ever had one that wasn't really hot and you went to put the creamer in it, it wouldn't even mix up. And I'm like, what a mess. It just kind of makes me sick on my stomach to see the particles floating on the top of that coffee. I want my coffee hot. And then here is a good waiter or waitress. They come by and they see that your glass is a little bit empty. They're afraid maybe the ice has melted too much. They ask, you want some more ice with that? Or they want to refill it, keep it full, keep that thing coming. Oh, they want to top off that cup of coffee. Why? Because after it sits there a few minutes, it becomes a little bit tepid. It's not as good as it was before. They don't want that on their conscience. They want a good tip. Keep that coffee coming, piping hot. Have you ever heard of the second law of thermodynamics? Yeah, I see a lot of your heads bobbing. That is basically the idea of a contained setting. You've got a contained setting. And within that setting, maybe you had some energy contained, okay? But if you don't ever do anything to that energy that you have contained, eventually it will moderate. It'll just basically even itself out. And be nothing it's kind of the principle behind you got you a fire going you think that's an indefinite fire of course not I've got to start adding some fuel to that fire to keep the fire going I can't contain it and expect it to remain hot I've got to continue putting fuel to it to perpetuate the action the same thing is true with well your refrigerator You know, that thing is cold. I say, well, you know, it's sealed up and all. I'll just close the door and unplug it and save some energy. You know what will happen in just a little while, no matter how well it's insulated. Eventually, what was held within that contained space will be lost. If you want that thing to continue to prosper, If you want the fire to keep burning, if you want to continue the the cold in that refrigerator, you've got to add the energy to it. Now, let me tell you something. The church is not one of those contained circumstances. It's not like we come together and shut the doors and then, then just hope, that the status quo will remain. We'll, we'll be faithful, we'll, we'll be great. You know, we'll have this, this fervor, this zeal, this enthusiasm. The fact is that if we contain the church, if we don't ever add any energy to it, if we don't ever become excited about anything beyond what we're doing right now, eventually, the energy, energy that we once held will, will dissipate. And until such time as we add more energy to it, the thing will die on its own. It will become what Jesus says, a thing that I just want to vomit out of my mouth. It will become, well, it'll be lukewarm. I'm just asking the question today. Uh, for all of us. Is is this something that you need to repent of? The matter of fervency? Am I really fervent for the Lord? Could could I say, as just regards myself, I'm on fire for the Lord and I'm feeding that fire. It's Just a question. The Lord was pretty concerned about it. I also know that we must repent when we lose. I'm having trouble with this, buddy. I'm going to let the experts handle it. We lose our humility. Okay, so here was the church and Jesus' assessment of it. So far he says, you make me want to vomit. Here was their perspective on the matter. We we are rich. We've become wealthy. We have need of nothing. But Jesus says, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Here is what I counsel you to do. I counsel you to buy gold from me that has been refined with fire, that you may be rich. Rich. We are rich. Well, isn't it ironic? Just a little while ago, we were studying the church that's in Smyrna. Smyrna is completely the opposite of the church in Laodicea. There is not one bad thing said about that church. And in fact, when the Lord describes the church in Smyrna, here's what he says about them. You are rich. Now, wait, why did he say that? Well, because when they looked at themselves, they said, you know what? We, we really aren't achieving like we think we should for the Lord. And so when we consider ourselves and our impact and what we have in terms of the world's goods, the conclusion that we have drawn about ourselves is that we are poor. And if the Lord had showed up right there at their door, and said, hello, I've come to inspect, they would have said, whoa, wait, wait, Lord, don't come in here. Because we are poor. Remember, the Lord said, you're not poor, you are rich. But now to the church that says we're rich, we don't need anything, boy, we are wealthy. The Lord says, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Why, why is it that they were that way? Perhaps they had given in to the worldliness that was around them. They live in a rich city, so why not? We keep up with kind of what's going on around us. You know, we've got to be like the people that we serve. So they're rich, we're going to be rich. You know, people dressed in that fine wool and they presented themselves just kind of as elites, and certainly, you know, church going to be in this area. Well, we kind of got to do the same thing. This may seem a little bit random, but I've noticed this about church bulletins almost everywhere I've been. I've been to a lot of different churches. Almost always, like on the bulletin, the heading of the bulletin, maybe some of the letters that they send out, the heading in that, almost always have some graphic on it that represents the church building. Got pictures of the church building on it. Now, I'm not judging the motivation behind it. Maybe it's just so that when somebody sees that, they'll be able to identify where our church building is because they can hold that up there. I don't know why that's on there, but I do have to ask that question, right? In terms of humility or fitting in, when we want people to know who we are, we put a picture of our church building out there. Does that make sense? And what does that say about us? Now, I've seen plenty of bulletins too that maybe had a picture of that they took the whole church The people standing out in front of maybe the front door of the church building. Hey, okay, maybe a little bit different picture is gathered. These are the people that are meeting in this building. But we have to ask ourselves, what drives us? Are we driven by the desire to do spiritual things or are we wrapped up and spending all our money on material things? When we ask that question, we're basically asking the same question that Jesus is asking as he makes a judgment about this church that was in Laodicea. I see how it is with you. You've got it in your mind that you're rich and you're wealthy and you don't need anything. He says, but what you don't know, now let that sink in for a minute. It wasn't that they knew they were like that and they're just pretending. They didn't realize that they were in this mess They were going along thinking they're doing just fine. He says, what you don't know is the worst thing I could ever say about any church. Is that, no, you aren't rich and you need everything. You have emptied yourself because of your worldly passions and you don't have anything. So now, not only do I want to vomit you out of my mouth, but I see you as a wretched example of what the church ought to be. He says, there is a solution, though. Here's what you need to do. Instead of spending your money and your time on yourself, how about buy the gold that has been refined? You can be rich with that. Now, refined gold. You know, gold is found in the raw and you're looking for the ore, but in the ore, that, that whole rock that you might have gathered up, not only is the gold ore there, but other, other metals and other just junk that is kind of bound up in that. So what you do to purify it is, well, you put it to the heat, a lot of heat. And eventually the gold will melt along with many of the other materials and the trash will float to the top and then you can skim off the debris And understand that this isn't really a simple process. It's not like you're just going to heat it up one time, you'll get all the impurities out. If you want the finest gold, the kind of gold that is practically pure in essence, then you're going to have to go through this heating process until such time as you can literally and actually look over the top of that gold liquefied by the heat and see a pure reflection as though you were looking into a mirror. The Lord says, you've got to be humble in this regard. Now I'm thinking, what what would be the what would be the parallel thought there? What what is like a purifying process? I get the idea, as probably you would through studying a lot of these pictures of purification, that oftentimes purification comes through tribulation and trial and difficulties. And now I'm getting the idea that here is a church in Laodicea that had become rich and felt like they were wealthy and didn't need any help, because they had, they had kind of floated along with the society that was around them. You couldn't tell any difference between them and anybody else in town. You see, we're not going to make any waves. We're not going to cause any problems. We're going to have people love us in this community and never have any strife and difficulty. And when tribulation arises, we'll just kind of bow out of the fight. The Lord says, if you want to be right with me, if you want to demonstrate your humility and willingness to serve, if you want to truly be rich, then you're going to have to turn your back on these worldly things. And it might mean that you suffer some for your Christianity. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it, that most of the churches that found favor with the Lord were those churches that were suffering in one way or the other. Listen, it's not only our fervency and our humility that's at task here. It's also the idea of our vision, what we see. Now, if you go to the end, actually the end of verse 18, you'll find him instructing them. This would have been the third of the instructions that he gives in verse 18. This third instruction, he says, what I want you to do is is take the eye salve and, and apply it to your eyes so that you may see. I, w- I want you to be able to see what's going on. Now, is he telling them, you know what, I, I get it. Things are tough. And I, I know that maybe you feel like I'm coming down hard on you. So go, go to the apothecary or to the pharmacy and get you some medicine and rub it in your eyes. That's not what he's telling them. He's like, I want you to open your eyes and see what's really going on. I want you to take what the city is famous for and I want you to apply it in a spiritual way. I want, I want the, the spiritual eye salve, if you will, to be applied to your eyes so that you can see, truly see what's going on. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. I never really noticed it before. And I've mentioned this text several times. But in that text, you're you're reminded to add your faith. Virtue, to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, listen, is short-sighted, even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Well, right there it is. It is a people who are in this contained situation as a church who have never added anything to fuel the fire of their service to the Lord. They started maybe with faith and they were an established church and sure, they're wealthy. They could show you all the statistics that we normally would look at to judge a church regarding its faithfulness. And yet the Lord says, you make me sick. And the reason you make me sick is because you haven't instituted the spiritual things. And in this case, your eyes have become blinded because you remain as you were. You haven't grown out of your infancy as a Christian, and you've been influenced by the world around you. In John chapter nine, I think it's kind of interesting, there is Jesus healing the blind man. And it makes the point in that story that those who were blind That is, those who had emptied themselves, whether literally as in the blind man who received sight, or those who were willing students of Jesus who were taking the truth and seeing their lives transformed. He said that those who were blind would be able to see. But those who were seeing, those who thought they could see, those who thought they had spiritual understanding and foresight, he said, you are the ones who will be made blind. That is, they didn't know any different. They didn't realize that they were in this mess. Or we could describe it another way, which I think is a a full expression of the idea. And that is actually something Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and following. Jesus said that the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, the body will be full of light. But he says, if the eye is bad or evil, the body will be filled with darkness. And then he says this, that if the light in your body is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. And I think that is it right there. Those who are filled with light are serving the Lord. Those who are filled with darkness are serving the world. The problem is that some people think that they are in the light and serving the Lord when in reality they are only serving their own fleshly and human desires. And as a result of that, instead of being filled with light and goodness, they are filling themselves with darkness. And Jesus says, if you think you're filled with light, but it's actually darkness, how great is that darkness? Because you are in ignorance in this darkness. Jesus says, get the spiritual eye salve. Apply that to your eyes so that you may see. So far I'm wondering now, in terms of repentance, do do we need to repent of our lack of fervency? We're not on fire for the Lord. Do do we need to repent of uh, our pride and not being humble? Do we need to repent of our blindness? We need a vision for the future. We need to be able to see what the Lord wants of us. I, I would ask one other question. And that is, do we need to repent because we've lost our way? The third of the things is actually the middle one. <laughs> That's in verse 18. So the first one had to do with the gold that was refined with fire. The third one is the one we just talked about of using the iṣab, but the one that there is there in the middle. In the context, he's asking them to buy these things. You say you're rich, then buy these things and you truly will be rich. So he says, here's what you need to buy. And that is buy white garments so that you'll be able to cover up the shame of your nakedness. It reminds me of that story by Hans Christian Andersen. You remember that one? The Emperor And his new clothes. Here were some Christians who thought they were decked out in the latest style. But the Lord says, no. You you are naked. You've lost your way. Others can't see it. But the Lord says, I can see it. Has it dawned on you yet? I hope it has. That Jesus actually had nothing good to say about the church in Laodicea. Not one thing. I remember the way that Jesus warns us of some of the choices that we make going along. For instance, I mean, talk about general, um, Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. That's plain, right? For wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. We want to say, as Laodicea would have wanted to say, we're on that narrow path, we are. But Jesus said, you don't know it, but you're not. Self-deceived. That is is the worst. Or uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. Trust in the Lord. Make sure that He's the one guiding our steps. So that when he makes his assessment, he'll have nothing but good things to say. As kind of a warning, I guess, Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. In other words, do not wait. You have received my letter. You now know what it is. You didn't know before. I told you that. You did not know you were on the, now you know. And I am telling you, I love you, but you had better be zealous about it. You better act now and repent. And then there's this, and it is potentially one of the most Misused passages in evangelism that there is. It's verses 20 and 21. Usually I've heard these passages used something like this to the erring Person, the person who is unchurched, doesn't know the Lord. You've now heard the truth about Jesus, and Jesus is standing there at the door of your heart, and He is knocking on the door, and you have the opportunity to open the door. You know, you've seen the famous painting where the doorknob is only on the inside, so only you can open the door, and on and on. And so you press your people in that moment open the door, open the door. He is not talking to the alien. He is talking to members of the church in these verses right here. He is talking to the church in Laodicea that previous to this letter of awakening believed they were okay. Now they realize they are not okay from the top to the bottom. And he says, listen, brothers, I stand at the door and I knock. Now, if anyone hears my voice, and stop there for a second, not only is he knocking on the door, but he is begging, please let me in. Church, I love you. Please let me in. So he's knocking on the door. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me to him who overcomes. I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, just as it was for me when I overcame all of those things for you. So now you, if you would just just wake up, realize it, be honest with yourself, act on the situation now since you know it, repent, then you know what? Not only will I come in, I will. You know, I'm coming in for the feast, but that feast is going to go straight from the dinner table to the throne room because I'm going to have you sit down with me just like I sat down with my father. Wow. And then he ends this like he ended every single one of the others. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. he who will listen. Now, I, I am nobody's judge. <laughs> if you ever thought I was peace, uh, you know, relax. I, I am nobody's judge. I am just a preacher. I just, I just proclaim what God has to say. But here's what God is saying to us today. If you are not fervent in your Christianity, if you're not on fire, you need to repent. Here's something else the Lord says to you today. If you are not humble, if you can't see it for the way it really is, if you just walk around all the time saying, I'm good, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. He says, you need to repent. The Lord says to you today that if you have been blinded by the world, And because of that, you have not been able to ascertain the difference between a worldly application of things and a spiritual application of things. Or if you don't even know what I'm talking about right now, then you need to repent. And the Lord says this to you today. If you have lost your way, you are naked In this world, you will become an object of ridicule and reproach for the Lord's church. In light of that, you need to repent. The Lord is standing at the door. He is knocking and he is begging. If you are hearing that voice, if you are feeling the vibrations of the knock on that door, then why don't you come forward and let's pray about it right now. Why don't you come while we stand together and sing.
2: I've wandered far away from
5: I see that one has responded this morning and it's Eddie Mooney. Eddie Mooney can you say as you stand there Do I live- Do you have good spiritual eyesight? Or have you been clouded by the things around you? If you know you've been misled, if if you know you're on the wrong track, why would you keep going there? The Lord is knocking on the door, listen to me, he says. Plenty of room here for you too. Have you lost your way? Have you lost sight of where you need to be going? The Lord's knocking on the door. Maybe he's been knocking on that door throughout two verses of this song already. You know that little voice that you have inside you that is saying, you need to get out there. You need to go up front. Let's have this church pray for me. I need this reassurance and help. If that is you, there's plenty of room. And there's plenty of time. We're going to sing, this the final verse? We're singing one more verse. And we're going to pray for Eddie. And Eddie's going to go out of here today feeling good about his relationship with the Lord. Why don't you come if you need to while we sing this last verse together.
2: I've tired of sin and shame home I've tithed
1: 514. We're going to sing one verse of there. As we think about all the lives that have just turned back to God, sing 514, the first verse of Redeemed. 514. Let's sing out. Thanking God for the glory of today. Redeemed how I love to proclaim every Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb.
6: came to this earth he died on the cross but more importantly he rose again and he lives with the father in heaven he did that for us and each week as we partake of the lord's supper we remember the sacrifice that he was willing to make for us would you bow with me Our Father, as we partake of the bread today, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We remember the promise that if we live right on this earth, that someday we will live for an eternity with you in heaven. And as we partake today, let's remember his willingness to allow his body to be carried to the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us again bow. Our Father, as we partake of the fruit of the vine, we remember the blood of Jesus that was shed upon that cross. And we remember that it's only through the shedding of innocent blood that we can have remission from our sins. And as we partake, we pray that we'll remember that Jesus shed his blood so that we could be saved. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, we as Christians are commanded to to give of our means upon the first day of the week. We have that opportunity, and there are several ways that you can do that. Let's give thanks for the blessings that God has given us. Our Father, thank you for blessing us, for giving to, uh, to us the things that we need to live on this earth. And Father, as we give back to you, we pray that we will do it in a manner that's pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
7: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Boonville Church of Christ, and if you are a guest today, this is just a small sampling of what God's doing in this church. Those that do not believe that there is a God weren't in this church today. Today we had 285 present um, we'll go through these announcements. Uh, please remember those in the middle of your bulletin that, that need our prayers. Uh, the devotional landmark, the devotion at the landmarks today at four. Tonight, the Sunday night young adults class without a fellowship following, following at classes. Pick up dinner for your family and join us in the annex for fellowship. If you aren't in this class, we will not be checking driver's license, so you're all welcome. Uh, don't forget the SOS Ministry Saving One Soul bags are available in the foyer. The weekly food pantry item is mac and cheese. The food pantry in the clothes closet will be open October the 13th and October the 20th. There are two sign-up sheets in the foyer for upcoming Golden Circle trips. I'm assuming we'll decide what color shirts to wear at a later date. Everyone is invited to the shower for Katie Demio and Justin Keaton with wedding gifts via the bridal shower table in the foyer. She's the daughter of Becky Nams and granddaughter of Sue Potts. And don't forget the Bible class teachers meeting uh, last Sunday in February at 3.30. The teens will be going to the area-wide youth devotional tonight at Strickland. The bus will leave the TAC at 4.15. And we have a card here that I'd like to read. It says, dear church family, thank you so much for everything you did in the unexpected passage of my mom. All the calls, texts, visits, flowers, gifts, and cards made us feel the love from our church. Please keep our families in your prayers. Love, Jonathan, Kim, Tristan, and Isaac Farr. With no other announcements, if you will please stand, we will dismiss with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this day that you have truly made. Lord, I ask that you just remind us that at times when we feel surrounded, we are surrounded, Lord, we're surrounded by you. Lord, I ask that you be with each and every everyone that came up front today, be with those that heard Brother Ken's lesson and allow us to apply to our lives and let us return safely on tonight. Lord, I ask that these
8: names and your blessings, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.